0: On Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Lula Davinia
1: by Shiner. It's not that I turn it off, I just zone out.
2: This could almost be an instrumental band.
1: Your head starts to spin if you're really paying attention and like try to figure out like what part to follow.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minici. And joining me once again, Jason Ziak. Jay, Yeah, we are, we are on episode two of season two of dig me out did you ever think we'd make it to season two
1: uh not really and i would not have well i guess i'm impressed with our consistency in some ways i uh, i'm not completely surprised by that knowing both of our personalities but uh i am pretty proud that we've we've stayed consistent and, and and have delivered a new episode every week
2: when you mean personalities you mean our unwillingness to let something go once we've started it
1: uh, pretty much, yeah. Okay. We both tend to be uh, fairly regimented about things that we commit to.
2: That's true. I do eat the same thing every day for lunch for one month straight, which I make on the first day of each month, just so I'm planned out for the entire month.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't do
2: that. That's just no. I'm that's, that's insane. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's I only do it by the week. Not the whole oh,
1: week. I totally would would have believed you. I didn't for a second doubt that that wouldn't have been true
2: I'm sipping uh, sipping a little bit of tea here I got a little bit of a scratchy throat this evening As we were recording So uh, if I I start to lose it at some point I apologize to our listeners I'm not uh, I wasn't out partying or anything Getting crazy It's just uh, that time of year
1: Let it scratch, Wolfman
2: Yeah, get down low
1: There we go, let it go
2: Speaking of getting down low, this band we're going to review tonight they get down low, and I mean tuning-wise. We're talking about Shiner. Now, Jay, you were familiar with Shiner before we tackled this album, correct? Sure. Were you familiar with this album? Yes. You were?
1: I was familiar with this album and The Egg. And I have Starless as well, but I haven't listened to Starless as much as I've listened to This and the egg.
2: Okay, I've listened to Starless and the Egg, but I had never listened to this album before reviewing it. So I'm coming at it, I guess, from different uh, perspectives as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the history of Shiner.
0: History of the
2: band. Shiner was formed in Kansas City, Missouri in 1992. Originally, Alan Epley on vocals and guitar, Sean Cheryl on bass, and Tim Dow on drums. I want to mention during the Rens uh, podcast, I think I might have referred to Tim Dow as the lead singer. Uh, Dig Me Out apologizes for this error. And it will not be happen again. Obviously, I meant to say Alan Epley is the lead singer of uh, Shiner. You going to say something, Jay?
1: I was just going to say that... Um... We've noticed something um, with our viewership, our viewership, our listeners, that is actually pretty handy. Um, They apparently know some stuff, and in a lot of cases, a lot more than we know. Yeah. Um, So we've been getting emails, which is great, and some comments occasionally. Uh, (coughs) I want to take the opportunity that feel free, um, if we say something inaccurate here about the band's, Please, by all means, go to the comments and correct us. I think that'd be a great place to to uh, to get the story straight and to uh to get the real information. So, yes, please. You know better than we do. Awesome. We won't be offended. Please go.
2: No. So the first release from Shiner was in 1993. It was an EP on Desoto Records. That was followed uh, by some singles and then finally an album on DeSoto in 1996, called Splay. It was recorded at Steve Albini's studio in Chicago by uh shellac member, Bob Weston. Steve Albini, also a member of shellac. Their second album, which we are reviewing, I believe it's pronounced Lula Divinia, was released the following year on Hit, recording, hit It Recordings. Paul Malinowski replaced Sean Sherrill on bass for this album. Their third album, Starless, came out in 2000 on the owned and operated label. Now there's a little bit of a shuffling of responsibilities. Uh, Melanowski moved from bass to keyboards and backing vocals. Jason Gherkin, formerly of Season to Risk, replaced Tim Dow on drums. And Josh Newton, also formerly of Season to Risk, came on uh, to play bass and keyboards. And then their final full-length, Egg, came out in 2001. It was released on DeSoto. On this album, Malinowski went back to playing bass. Josh Newton moved from bass and keyboards to guitar. And Matt Matt Talbot, formerly of Hum played some keyboards on the record it was recorded at Talbot studio in uh I believe it's Champlain Illinois I'm guessing because that's where hum was from and Jay Robbins of Jawbox produced the album DeSoto re-released the album that we're reviewing Lula Divinia in 2002 with two bonus tracks I believe Jay that that is the version that we're reviewing was the 13 version 13 track version not the 11 track version am I correct yeah. So
1: the last two songs are not on the original release?
2: No, they're not. They're huh. bonus bonus tracks. Okay. I think they were on an EP that came out after this album. And then when they re-released it, they put it on the album. So Malinowski plays in the band. Well, he plays in a couple bands. Uh, and I don't know how many of these are active and how many of these are defunct at this point. Open Hand was one band newton newton and every time i die and the damn things and alan epley plays in the band the life and times which has put out a number of albums and EPs since shiner has broken up so that is the history of shiner now you mentioned that you had heard this album before Mm -hmm. uh when was the last time you listened to it oh wow
1: I'm sure it's come up here and there over the course of the last 10 years but probably not start to finish in 10
2: years. So I'm guessing it was around the time I think you and I both became aware of Shiner when The Egg was released. Is yeah. that fair to say?
1: Yeah. and, and I this- think I, I either became aware of them as soon as that album came out or just prior to it but around that time.
2: And then sort of backtracked from there yeah. getting Starless and, and this album. So you, you, in the history that I just gave, you'll notice that from the second album, this one to the third album, they added new players and they also added keyboards. The, uh, the I guess you could say the sound on the third and fourth albums are a bit more expansive, but in terms of the in terms of the sound on, on this album, I heard a lot of bands. Not necessarily that they're probably more contemporaries than influences. Uh, I heard Hum I heard Failure I heard Sunny Day Real Estate I even heard like Cave In, the specifically the Jupiter album mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if those are the same balance that you heard if you heard different things and what your overall impression of this album is
1: y- yeah I heard I heard all those bands the thing that's, that's interesting I, I don't really think that the the a against starless sound that different which is kind of amazing I didn't realize they had gone through so many change in members and rotation so who played what and I mean they they sound pretty pretty damn close thinking back that doesn't really make much sense but <laughs> because this band has a very distinct sound so while they sound like a lot of those bands you mentioned you know I'll throw in no knife there's another band that came to mind when I listened to them they are still pretty unique. Um, I think one of the big things, at least on this album, especially, um, just because i obviously focused on it more for for this episode, but they use a lot of clean guitars, but they're a Mm -hmm. heavy band. Um, And those two things don't normally go together, but they pull it off remarkably well. Um, I'm sure part of that is the tuning. Um, But Another part of it is just the parts they write and uh, the bass tone and how tight they are with the bass and the drums. It, they still have a very heavy sound. Um, so it creates this really, really unique, interesting texture that uh, I think uh, really the only other band that I can think of that I mentioned that, that can get there is No Knife. But they tend to be, um, I, I don't think they, they don't tend to be as dark. As shiner can get um, but they still have that cl- kind of clean guitar uh, sound but can still get heavy
2: that's um, interesting that you mentioned no knife because from what I've read about their guitar tunings they actually tune up yeah they actually go for a brighter sound whereas shiner tunes down a full step to C. yeah which makes them really heavy I mean that's what the pumpkins were doing on uh, the uh machina album they were tuning down to see to get that really dark sound in and, and it really creates i, I don't want to say that they're completely unique but there's a really really specific sound to shiner's guitar tone yeah because of that that full step tuned down and because they're playing those clean guitars um you don't really hear it in a lot of those other bands that even in their when they're tuning just to d which is a half step down they're not getting is that sort of tone that Shiner's getting, and I'm guessing that probably has to do with the combination of guitars and amps that they're using too.
1: Yeah, I was trying to figure it out. Uh, there's there's the tuning. There's the guitars, which I'm just blindly guessing they they sound um, Fender Jazzmaster or or Jaguar-ish because they have a good mid tone to them. Some of that might be just completely thrown off because the tuning is so low that you know the tone just characteristics just completely change, but that if i had to to take a million dollar guess that's what i would guess that they're playing something in that ballpark um that combined with with a great great amp tone i kept trying to figure out if they were using maybe a little bit of chorus or some sort of subtle you know effects on top of there because there's just there's this weird shimmer and chime that happens and um you know the two guitar parts kind of hitting off each other and even the bass tone it the bass tone tends to be a little bit grittier and more distorted but you know the way it mixes in there it kind of creates these um, these notes to happen and these sounds to happen that are very unique and it could carries through the whole album and i would say it's it's you know it's obvious on the on the following albums as well so uh, you know just from that aspect alone um I think that's what makes them unique. Um, I I think vocally, I wouldn't say he's, you know, I think there's some other, you know, tones and voices that come close to him, but I don't know. I guess for the style of music, he's fairly unique in that he doesn't like get overly aggressive or, I mean, this is fairly heavy, progressive, you know, I guess alternative rock. I call it space rock. Yeah. (laughs) sounds
2: like it's, it's very, it's very atmospheric at times. Yeah. So and it, it kind of reminds me of of the the some of the you you could almost get into like spiritualized with some of the like you know the, the spaciness that they're playing with. But it's
1: very <coughs>
2: it's very intricate though.
1: It's very yeah. I mean, al- almost overly complex. Especially on this album. I mean, there are some parts where. Your head starts to spin if you're really paying attention, and, like try to figure out like what part to follow. It's it's so um, layered and comp- complex, and that was one of the things I was going to ask is that um, you know classifying this band, I, I think it's fairly difficult, and and listening to it with fresh ears, I want to I want to call this progressive music progressive metal or progressive rock, or it's very hard for me now to listen to this and not think of it that way. I think at the time I didn't think of it that way, but now listening to it, you know, it's hard to, to not hear bands like Tool or, you know, sort of the, the later nineties, mid nineties, um, you know, alt rock stuff that's started to lean a little bit more progressive. You know, I, I start to think of it that way. Does that, does that sound off base to you or
2: no and it's weird because this band straddles the line between so many different sounds you know I was reading up on them and someone described them as uh, emo but without the contrived chord changes which I thought was an odd way to compare them but you know with with, with his vocal delivery he is very emotive with the vocal delivery it's not uh, emo in the you know Sunny Day real estate end of it not in the yeah, emo, that's... like, pop-punk end of yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's that's where I hear the Sunny Day comparison. Contrived season.
1: chord changes? What does that even mean?
2: I don't know. That was just what the person wrote. Because
1: <laughs> they do some pretty crazy chord changes. I mean, they play some chords on this album that I, I'm like, I couldn't even begin to even tell you what key that is.
2: <laughs> it's almost impossible to start breaking down the album because it's there's time signature changes all over the place and and you know what crazy dynamics that are going on and you know you're like oh it's five four and wait a minute they just switched from five four to three four and then there's a seven eight time and then there's and you're just like okay i can't even keep up with all the stuff that they're doing
1: yeah i mean that kind of, that gets to a good point i mean so i, I struggle with this album from this aspect In the left side of my brain when I analyzed it and listened to all the bits and parts, pretty much I checked off everything that I love, you know? So tone-wise it's amazing, playing-wise it's amazing, creativity it's amazing, you know, vocally I like his voice, I think tonally it's great. Um, You know, I could go check, 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 check. But I can't deny the fact that when I listen to this album, I start to lose focus and I kind of fade out. And I can't pay attention to the whole thing. So,
2: well, I think the thing that hurts it is there's you, you have you complained about this on previous podcast. It's hard to find the chorus with a lot of these songs. Uh, you know, in in track six, sideways. line i'm faster than you yeah over and over again that's it's repetitive but i don't know that it's necessarily a chorus yeah um and then in track nine uh jim's lament he sort of changes his vocal delivery when he gets to the line masquerade by fears he brings it down and it's a little bit it's the lower range that he's singing in and it sounds cool and it's almost i guess a chorus but there's really there's not a lot of like, of vocal hooks to latch onto, whereas musically there's cool hooks everywhere.
1: Yeah, and I also found that when there is a good vocal, and i do not saying good vocals because it sounds stupid, but a vocal that um, I guess is strong or compelling or draws me in, it's usually at the cost of the music becoming much more simple. And, And I hear this back and forth throughout the album. When I notice myself being drawn in by the vocal, it'll be at a time when the music has been simplified, and there's times where... I just ignore the vocal, and that's usually because the music is so comp- complex and and you know making me you know it's drawing my interest, making me pay attention to that. Um, they're they're very rarely ever able to find that uh, those spots where those can, can can coexist and become one and truly work together. Um, one is always at the cost of the other. It seems through through the whole album.
2: In a lot of ways, and I. I think they actually do this on the last album this could almost be an instrumental band yeah you know they're so good musically and i think there is an instrumental track on the egg that's really good uh there's one I you know
1: here too isn't uh the...
2: well uh pinned yeah is it's basically just two chords and then they're like picking over the top of the two chords and there's some distorted vocals and it's ex- that are on it, that song
1: it like bridges the other two songs together too
2: yeah bridges sideways and shelf life yeah uh which I wanted to mention shelf life because um, it's a cool song musically and, and the vocals are fine at the end of the song he starts screaming and he, that's the one thing he can't sort of pull off yeah. his voice just is way too thin to do to do screaming justice yeah the, the way that you you would need to um, unless they were to double it up which it doesn't sound like his voice is being doubled
1: he does some um... Harmonies here and there with himself, uh, they're barely harmonies. But he'll do like uh, his normal med- medium to range vocal, and then he'll do one lower. I think there's one or two spots in the album versus he does that in. But yeah, he doesn't. He's not capable of doing anything sort of high. In the the scream would would be his attempt at that. And as you you're <laughs> mentioning, he doesn't do that very well. And, and that that becomes a real. I guess that's where it becomes a real liability to me is that I mean, his voice does in terms of when you have music, this complex and you know, some of the songs are short, but other ones get fairly lengthy um, and progressive. You, I don't know. I want that stuff to build to something. And usually a vocal, a singer that can you know, sort of change himself up and go into another range plays that off. Um, I mean, you even see it with like, uh, um, Mars Volta, which you know, they're for the most part a jam band or a modern progressive alt rock band, or whatever you want to call them. And he's able to sort of when they get to the high parts, you know, the the really manic, crazy parts or heavy parts, you know, he can go high with his vocal, and it sort of adds this intensity to it, and everything you know comes together, and it um, gives you goosebumps he can't do that so the band gets more intense and louder and he just is kind of stuck where he is and the music has to carry it um, and I don't want to sound over critical because musically it's really really cool I mean they do some stuff that's just mind blowing there's, some, no- there's some, some notes and patterns on here where I'm like is that Middle Eastern like where are they getting this from like what I couldn't even begin to figure out how to play any of that they're
2: drawing on a lot of different things. I mean, I can hear Sonic Youth. I can hear the shoegaze of the early '90s. Um, <clears throat> I can hear, you know, obviously like My Bloody Valentine in terms of the the way that they're bending notes using the whammy bar, which Swerve Driver figures into that in yeah. some ways. You know, there's just there's so many different. I can, there's sometimes where I'm like, listen to, it, I'm like, that sounds like a jazz riff that they're playing there. Yeah. I think it's in a also in Jim's Lament they get to this like uh, part of the song where he's hitting these like single chords and it's on the backbeat so it it really accents the tempo uh, or or the beat of the song in this weird way and it it sounds like like a jazz riff almost there's a lot of that stuff going on where you you hear it and you're like man that sounds like you know would be a horn riff in a jazz song or, or it sounds like you know, some sort of a, a noise part out of a out of a mid eight, late 80s Sonic Youth album. Especially, you know, if you look at it with the two bonus tracks, Cake should have been what would be the last song on the original album. And the end of Cake is, ju- is just like everything the band is in terms of like riffing. Like they throw like seven different riffs into the end of that one song mm-hmm. where they're like doing descending riffs and all these like, their bass is going one way and the guitars going another way. It's it's amazing. I would have, this is a band that like I would have loved to have seen them in a small club, where they've got you know full stacks and just are blazingly ear shatteringly loud.
1: Oh, it would have been mind blowing.
2: I kind of think that uh, there's a Cincinnati band um, whose name I'm blanking on at the moment. Maybe uh, Jay Thistle. That they, this would have been sort of a, a comparison. In terms of their sound and in terms of their loudness,
1: yeah, I think this was more straightforward than this, but it was in the same ballpark. Yeah, the the drummer on this record is insane. I mean, for the tempos, the, out, yeah. the tempos they play at, which are you know relatively mid tempo or slower, um, he's at times just playing it so much it makes your head spin. a couple songs on here um, you know, by, by the end of the song I'm, I'm, I was just listening to him and just thinking to myself like I'd be so exhausted at this point of the song and it's not even a fast song like he's just doing so many accents and just it's like every beat he plays is considered like you no, know, this time I'm going to hit the hi-hat and then over here I'm going to hit the ride and now I'm going to you know add this little accent here and then I'm going to roll the snare and like, it's just like so meticulous, it's incredible to just, and, and from a tone standpoint, you know, it's amazing too. So I mean, even if you're just like, you know, just into listening to great musicians, I, I guess in that way, maybe it's like jazz. Um, to go back to your comment about some of the chords and things they're using, is that you can appreciate it um, on a level that way. That's really kind of fun to just listen to all the different you know parts and pieces and all the different guys do their performances because they're all pretty amazing.
2: I did want to mention uh, Tim Dow, besides playing in Shiner, played drums on the Abandoned Pools album, Humanistic. He played drums on Pete, Yor's, Pete Yorn's album, Day I Forgot. He played drums in Year of the Rabbit. He wow. played drums in on uh, Ken Andrews' solo album, Secrets of the Lost Satellite. And he played drums on uh, the band She Loom. Their album *Seed of the Empire*, which came out last year, Shilum features former Blinker the Star member uh, Jordan Zardnaski. I think that's how you pronounce his last name, Zardnaski. Hmm. So he's stayed active. I mean, he's basically been played drums, and that's just, those are just the the major ones that I'm mentioning.
1: He's played with some other people. And a lot of those albums, I'm thinking of uh, *Abandoned Pools* and even *Year of the Rabbit*. I mean, the drums are good, but they're you know, they're f- way simpler than this.
2: Which is yeah, more of, straightforward. It's
1: kind of amazing. It's, it's a little... It, I mean, obviously, um, Failure's a band that you know comes to mind immediately when you start listening to this this record. And uh, it's kind of interesting to hear that there's a bit of a circle there with, with some of the members and who's played with who.
2: I would have to imagine that Ken Andrews probably heard this band and was like, I need to find out who those guys are. I mean, that sounds like they were right up their alley in terms of, and they had both recorded with, uh, recorded at Steve Albini's studio, mm-hmm. so, you know, there, for all we know, there might have been a relationship going back years. If Tim Dow would like to send us an email, let us know what, what how that all worked out. We appreciate it. Um, we mentioned a lot of bands. Uh, in terms of who you might think that this album would be for, like, Besides people who are fans of Failure, Hum, um, Sunday Real Estate, You're the Rabbit, Cave-In, Jawbox, do you think if, if people who are listening to heavier bands now discovered this album, that this would be something they'd be into? I'm thinking of like Mastodon or Queens of the Stone Age, those sort of bands. Um,
1: I thought of a band I like a lot now called Russian Circles, who are uh, they're instrumental. Um, that they, These guys remind me quite a bit of. I'd say Shiner's a bit more progressive and intricate and complex, but um, not too far off. The one big difference, though, between uh, Russian Circles and Shiner is that the Russian Circles albums, um, I think they're all EPs, or pretty close to it. uh, They're at least, like, You know, only four or five songs. Maybe the songs are longer. You know, than just three or four minutes. But for the most part, they're fairly short albums. Um, This is not, especially if you get the 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 reissued version. Um, So again, you know, I think we say this on almost every episode we do now. But you know, this album is very long, Uh, and, and that was part of my my initial critique. Is is you know, I'm into I'm into this kind of stuff, but. Even I can only take... It's not that I turn it off. I just zone out, you know? So why I'm, you know, working or whatever, I'll have this on and I'll sort of be into it and then inevitably, two songs in, I'm just, forget it's even on, you know? And I sort of wake up seven songs later and have to remind myself, oh, what am I listening to? Oh, yeah, Shiner, okay. So, you know, it's... um, I think it's for a lot of the bands, you said that all of those bands have a bit of a commercial slight pop element to them. I mean, even a band like home, you know, so we had a radio single. There's some element there of occasionally right. every other song or something. There's some attempt to write a, you know, a hook or some sort of chorus. Um, these guys don't really, at least on this album, have any intent on doing that. So
2: yeah, they get to it on the next album. I think that <laughs> the next album is a little more straightforward in terms of uh i think kevin is waiting was this was the single yeah supposedly off that album yeah uh i think you know you mentioned tool i think that that's a good you know people who are into tool and into that sort of darker progressive rock from the 90s you know there are still tons of tool fans so i think this might be a band that they would be down with um other than that I had a hard time sort of pinning down because it's the, musically it's not it's just so not straightforward that if you're not into like Rush uh, you're not going to be into this because it's just going to you're just going to be like why are they why is he playing 16th right now I'm going to ask that but like he's going from playing like you know crazy 16th note hi-hat you know almost like sounds like double kick stuff and then moving to these like you know three minute long halftime interludes and just it's just craziness somehow compacted into like three and four minute long rock songs
1: yeah I mean you have to be if you're a musician you're going to be more likely to enjoy this (laughs) Um, yeah I I think they're a musician's band for sure if you don't have that uh, musician's ear where you can appreciate all of the the nuance and detail and um, just how meticulous they are and And creatively from a microscopic level, you know, that's what it comes down to for me is that when I break it down into its small little parts and pieces, I appreciate it way more than I do when I step back and just try to listen to it as a whole and have it grab a hold of me. It it doesn't consistently do that. So I think you have to have a a musician's ear to be able to appreciate it at that level.
2: Probably. Not that other non-musicians can't, but it definitely helps if you play a little bit to (laughs) appreciate all the insanity that's going on from song to song and even within individual parts of songs. So, I think we're both on board with Shiner. I think that's safe to say. Uh, I still prefer, I think, the Egg in terms of an overall album. Would you, is that you know we can't review that one so <laughs> in terms of the the shiner catalog do you have a preference
1: oh you know it's tough i i revisited the egg briefly uh after listening to this and I, I was kind of in i'm kind of into this record i mean i think it sounds great um i think it's a little bit more unique i think the egg is them taking on and showing their influences a little bit more um I think it just comes down to if if you're in for a little bit more of a challenge and something that's maybe just a little bit more inspiring musically, I think this is a good album to go to. I think if you want something just you know has a slightly more, it's more song you know pop song oriented or song oriented, then you should probably check out The Egg. But like I said, I don't think they're that far off, far from each other. I mean, they're they're all in the same ballpark.
2: All right, well that's it for Shiner we have given you the information you can go out and decide for yourself whether you're going to add them to your iTunes playlist or Spotify uh, playlist or whatever. however you listen to music perhaps you get it on vinyl I don't know I don't think you'll be getting this on vinyl well DeSoto reissued it oh, so okay. maybe they have a yeah I mean 2002 so maybe they hmm. did a vinyl pressing who knows who knows that's it for us if you know leave maybe a comment back- yeah, leave a comment. If you run DeSoto Records, leave a comment. We'll, we'll put a link up. I think that would be uh, Kim Coletta and Bill Bar-bo. Barbo. Barbo, I think those are the people who run DeSoto. Or maybe it's been taken over back in conglomerate. Right? I don't know. Perhaps uh, Seagram's owns it now or something. They're trying to cash in on the DeSoto catalog. That's it for us. We're out. Thanks again to Jay for joining me. And thanks again to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode Dig Me Out.
0: Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation about this episode. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. This week, Undig Me Out, Tim and Jay Review, Lula Divinia by Shiner. <laughs> Let's do it again.